Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we are excited to bring you Jean Hanf Korolitz, the New York Times best-selling author of nine novels, including You Should Have Known, which aired on HBO as The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. The plot and her latest, The Latecomer, will be available on May 31st. She is joined by Emma Straub, the New York Times best-selling author of five novels, including her latest, This Time Tomorrow, and All Adults Here, currently in development as a television series. These Manhattan natives share their love of all things New York, the pleasure of incorporating childhood nostalgia into their novels, and how operating a bookstore may be harder than writing. Inspiration starts now. Hi, Jean. Oh, there's my dog making an appearance. <laughs> He's comfortable. He looks very good. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Well, but so I, my, my, my first question for you, Jean, is if if you were already working on this book when the pandemic started, or or was this totally fresh? I mean, like how? Oh no. No, it was very dramatic because I was working on um, The Latecomer, which is now a book, but was then a mess. And my uh, beloved editor kept turning it down. Mm. She kept saying, it's not ready. It's not ready. It's not ready. You have to write it again. And uh, I was so deep in the weeds in this book that I, I was very frustrated and couldn't see my way out. And just before the pandemic started, I was in her office. Um, having a very sad conversation about why she wasn't accepting the book again. And I said, you know, I have this other idea. And I just kind of started telling this story about a, a down on his luck writer who can't produce anything, who has this awful student in a terrible MFA program. And the awful student says, I have this brilliant uh, plot and, uh, and well, and then, the student dies and the teacher decides to write the book himself and she's getting more and more excited. Uh, (laughs) And I'm, I'm starting to think, huh, maybe this is something. And then I get to the part where I tell her what this brilliant plot is. And I'm afraid to tell her because she's read every book ever written. And I'm sure that when I tell her what this plot is, uh, that she will say, oh, Emma Straub did that one, or Nathan Englander did that one, or Jennifer Egan mm-hmm. did that one. I was going to have my my balloon popped right there. And uh, and she didn't. Her, she, she went, oh, my God, that's amazing. So the next day, she bought both books. Wow. The, the, the one that was not working, that she wouldn't buy. And this one that didn't exist. Wow. And she very wisely, and by the way, I've never had a two-book contract. So that in itself was pretty great. Um, but the the vote of confidence at that moment was incredibly uh, reassuring. And she said, why don't you put down this book that is not coming together and write this other thing? Take a little time away from the latecomer and... And then the pandemic, the shutdown happened, and I was uh, at a house. Uh, my husband and I own in upstate New York, and all we did was just we wrote all day mm-hmm. and we watched The Sopranos. At night, and that, was our, <laughs> that was the first five months, and um, and then it, it, you know, it was unlike any book I've ever written. It was basically a four month project. Wow. 
but it was four months in which the world had conspired to give me nothing else to do and a reason not to be paying attention to the news, reading the paper, watching CNN, all of that stuff that I normally do. So it came rushing out. It required very little revision. And a few months after it was done, I picked up the latecomer manuscript and ta-da, I could see what the problem was and I could see how to fix it. So it still had to be written a few more times, but uh, we were on the right track. And, and, and so it may look, you know, from the outside, it may look like I rushed this 450 page novel uh, mm -hmm. in the last year, but that is not the case. It was substantially written before, uh, and, uh, refined and solved. It was solved after the plot was written. Yeah. So it's a I may look prolific, but you're prolific. You're <laughs> only half my age, but you've written almost as much as I have. Every time I know there's a new, uh, you, you have a new novel coming out, I'm like, how does she do that? She has little kids yeah. at home and everything. No. Uh, I mean, but but then again, like compared to, you know, some other women I know, I'm slow. You know, like I. Which other women are they? know i mean like ellen hildebrand or i don't know i mean there there are so many people like or my, like my friend jasmine guillory who writes romance novels she her first book came out i think three years ago and now she's on her seventh book <laughs> you know? no i i don't know so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going as fast as I can. That no, no, true, don't. You know? I mean, you don't. don't. No, I mean. Do what you need to do. No, no. I, I certainly don't feel like I could or want to write any faster. That's for sure. And also like, you know, on, on the flip side of that, all adults here, my book, my, my most recent book took me twice as long to write mm -hmm. and I mean that one I wrote with two small children while opening the bookstore it was a, a horrible nightmare like it was it was terrible and it was the most tortured experience I've ever had in terms of editing and drafts and just rewriting and reimagining um and so I don't ever want to do that again, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I like, um, yeah, I like it when it goes smoothly. Well, like don't we all? <laughs> I mean, are, are you one of those rare people who likes writing or are you like the rest of us who like having written? Um, uh, you know, I do like writing. I do like writing. I, and, and I mean, what, what you just said about writing the plot during quarantine I I feel in my bones because when in March of 2020 I I was about 50 pages or 60 pages maybe into a novel that I was writing and I was like I was just getting into it but like it it had required some sort of travel research that I'd done I was I was really excited about it um, but I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't do anything because I was suddenly homeschooling my two children and without childcare while my husband was at the bookstore 
all day, every day, basically by himself Mm -hmm. shipping out books. Um, So there was no time to write anyway. Right. Um, But then by the time I had childcare again, it was October. And at that point, there was no way... (laughs) there was no way I could go back to what I, to the, to the book I'd been writing. Like it just felt, it was like a silly book. It was in a, in a good way, like in a, in a fun way that, and I will write silly books again, you know, there's a place in the world for silly books. Oh, for sure. But like, it was, it was a fun one, you know, like it was a really fun book. And you weren't in a fun, fun. And I was not in a fun place. And, and my dad who is uh, the writer Peter Straub, who um, many people love. Ghost Story. 20 books. One of the most terrifying books I've ever read. (laughs) One of those books I I actually couldn't keep after I finished it because (laughs) it scared me to look at it. Yeah, he's very scary. He writes very scary books, and he's a very not scary person. And um, and he, he, his health has not been good for a long time, I would say for 10 years plus. Um, but it got very acutely bad during the pandemic. And he was, um, he was, he spent several months at Columbia Presbyterian hospital. And so what would happen was I would be alone with my children all week. And then one day a week, I would go up to the hospital. And even though it was like early pandemic for some reason I was allowed to go in and hang out with him Mm -hmm. and we would just sit there and talk as much as he was able some days more than others and um and I was like I don't know what I should write (laughs) you know we talk about books and we talk about writing and art and life and all of that and he said I don't know if he said it or I said it, but I sort of like made a joke or he made a joke that like, I should write about like someone visiting her father in the hospital. And I was like, uh, okay, yeah, I I will do that. (laughs) And, um, and then, I mean, what that turned into really was me writing this novel that turned into this time tomorrow that, that is about a woman my age visiting her very successful writer father in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she time travels back to her 16th birthday. And I mean, what I, I think what, what I love the most about the time travel in the book is that it's the time travel that I, that I would actually really like to do, Sure, yeah. which is, which is just sit at the kitchen table on the Upper West Side with my dad and watch Jeopardy and drink Coca-Cola and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> so you're not and killing Hitler. You're not. You yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. No Hitler. No Hitler, no, no Trump, nothing. No, nothing. Just like, just the normal stuff. Just like a Jackson Hole hamburger. You know? oh, I just uh, finished the book as I told you it was, uh, it was, I think it would have been powerful anyway, but because my father just died in January, it was so beautiful and it was so kind. It's a very kind novel, you know, and, and it, I, I was really, really moved by it. Not, not just as a bereaved daughter, but 
because I love the way you wrote about New York. Uh, I you, did you grow up in Manhattan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. West Eighty Fifth oh, Street. West Eighty Fifth. I grew up on East Eighty Fifth Street. Oh my God, you're no like lie. a whole different kind of person. I know. <laughs> but um, the the way you kind of chart the the movement of the city and the progress of the city through the appearance and the disappearance of places. I think you, there was one point where you referred to us all as frogs in the hot water yeah. and, and New York City as the hot water. That was just so perfect. <laughs> I still walk down streets and see the places that were there when I was a child. Um, but at some point, I think I just accepted that that movement, that, um, that constant replacement and replenishment is is part of the life of the city and we should you know do whatever we have to do to take joy in that because it's not going away i mean it is going away that's that's what it is yeah Um, yeah but the other great thing about it is that you are writing about the neighborhood where i am right now so (laughs) i mean i go to the vnt i've never had um (laughs) i've never had a pizza there but i I don't hear pasta very much Um, you gotta get a pizza it's the thing about the the thing the thing about so I went to elementary school at uh, Cathedral right across uh-huh. the street. Oh, did you? Wow. St. Okay. John the Divine. And so V&T pizza, like I probably had a V&T pizza, I don't know, like once a week, like my whole life. And the thing about it is that it really does pool into <laughs> you, a molten. You described it very graphically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's absolutely liquid. It's an yeah. absolutely liquid and center. And that's on purpose, would you say? They're doing I don't purpose? think so. I don't <laughs> think so. Um, but it's wonderful. And I can taste it right yeah. now, you yeah. know? Well, I will, you know, next time I go, I will do that. Oh, I will good. break away from my <laughs> Take a picture and send I will it to get me. It. I will. Um, <laughs> of course, the Hungarian pastry shop is important to anybody who's ever yes. gone to Colombia or yeah. lived in this neighborhood. <laughs> and and I've written there. I mean, I love that they don't have Wi-Fi on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you go in there, you're on your own. You know, you got to yeah. work. So, um, yeah, it's it, this has been a, a good neighborhood for us, uh, although I'm I'm hoping to move at some point soon. Um, we landed in a good place, so I was happy to see you celebrating it like that. Okay. Did you did you grow up on Pomander Walk? I didn't even no. know it existed. Yeah, it's real. No, I grew up I grew up on 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 a regular old block on 85th Street between South Park West and Columbus, uh-huh. um, which was a wonderful block. Um, and my parents lived there until about five, no, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when they moved here to Brooklyn to be just a couple blocks away from where we are. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's better because I see my parents all the time and, mm-hmm. you know, like my mother just dropped off a pint of matzo ball soup in my entryway, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, I really miss the Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. Like I, and, and part of the, part of the, the real joy. I mean, going back to your question of like in enjoying writing the joy that I felt in writing this book was that it Mm -hmm. was like, I'm just there. I like, I can close my eyes and be on any of those corners Mm, where I was a kid and a teenager and, and, um, and I miss it. You know, I miss those, I miss those places and those smells. The little magic things about, Writing fiction. I mean, I, I, 
I set uh, You Should Have Known, which pe- became The Undoing, yeah. in my childhood apartment. Although <laughs> by the time Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman were living with it, it looked a lot nicer. <laughs> a lot nicer. Um, yeah. But I but but there was that kind of pleasure of inhabiting those rooms again. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's a lucky thing, a lucky kind of side side gig that we have if um if you're writing fiction that you can access those places you can eat that pizza yeah again yeah i think it's you know it's moments. sort of like being like a you know like your own personal medium or something you know like being able to yeah. to to go back um yeah and i mean it's you know it's funny like near like now when i'm in the neighborhood when i'm on the upper west side it looks so different to me. It looks so different to me. Um, but of course I know that, you know, to all the kids who are five years old now, like this is, this is it for them. And like, this is the moment yeah. I'll go back to, I don't know. It's, it's. Yeah. I'm so glad you didn't uh, take your own kids out of the city. I think this is a fantastic place to grow oh God, up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like it's, I'm, I'm writing a little thing for, um, for the, for our, uh, blog for books or magic about several of the booksellers are writing about their hometowns and how their hometowns are depicted in fiction. And, um, you know, everybody has their favorites and it's so funny. I mean, that's, I don't know how you feel about it with like with New York city, because there's so much, obviously there's so much, I mean, not just fiction, but fiction, nonfiction movies, TV shows, art, depicting New York City in all of these different ways. And sometimes, I mean, certainly before writing this book, I was like, ugh, I don't really want to do it. Like I'd written one thing. My my book, Modern Lovers, takes place in Brooklyn, but it takes place in Ditmas Park, which is a, a neighborhood that's like filled with leafy trees and Victorian houses. You know, like it doesn't look like New York City, what most people think mm-hmm. of as New York City. Um, but it's hard to be like, yes, yes. The story that I want to tell needs to be here. It needs to, like, I need to add to this. I need to add to this pile. Um, even though. Well, we do have a justly large pile. Uh, (laughs) New York is the crossroads of so many lives, but I mean, I've always thought that Kathleen Shine did a marvelous job writing about New York city. I, I love her New York novels. Um, you know what you were saying before about putting aside the book that you were writing before COVID. I was thinking as you were speaking that that's kind of what happened after 9-11, where a lot of people put down what they were writing for various reasons. Um, ironically, some people uh, put aside uh, their books in progress because they felt uh, that those books were silly, that they weren't, yeah. you know, who cared about whatever, uh, when this incredibly horrific thing had just happened. Um, I, that wasn't why I put aside what I was writing. I was actually writing a really heavy novel. It was a historical novel. I'd never tried to do that before. We'll never try it again. Uh, <laughs> having to do with the Holocaust. And I put it down because I felt for the first time in my life that the awful thing in the rear view mirror was no longer the Holocaust, that something had mm. happened that had shoved the Holocaust out of the, that chair. And now there was this awful, awful thing that had just happened. And my 
bizarrely, my reaction was that I wanted to write a light and kind of sweet novel set in a New York City where that had not happened yet. Right. So I ended up writing this novel called The White Rose, which was set in the 1990s in New York City. Um, and that that was almost a pleasant experience. I, I can't help it. I mean, I'm not like you and Meg Wallitzer, who just love writing. Um, but it was, it was meaningful. It gave me solace. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, I, it was a selfish thing to want to go back in time so that I could, you know, assuage my own sadness. But um, that's what I needed. So that's what I did. And I never went back to that other novel. It remains... I think the only novel I ever really abandoned in the middle. But um, anyway, I I really loved your book. It's so funny because I keep telling myself that I don't like novels about time travel. And then I keep writing <laughs> to them. But I, I, I have to say that until I read This Time Tomorrow, I would have said that, that the novel that really defied uh, what was the sort of exception to the rule was uh, once... Once and again, uh, no, mm -hmm. from time to time, from time to time, time, time and again, time and again. Jack thank Finney. you, thank you. I also read the sequel, which is yeah. called From Time to Time, and that's mm -hmm. by Jack Finney, mm -hmm. and that was just so terrific. And I, I yeah. actually wonder, I was thinking of it while I was reading your book because your book does mention the Museum of Natural History, which does figure in uh, from time and again. But yeah. was that a coincidence or were you? Yeah, well, I read it. I mean, I, I read it, you know, I read lots of time travel books just to sort of get my bearings. Um, and that one I loved because it's it's um, Upper West Sidey. It's, right. it's it's the Dakota. Like, right. Basically. The Dakota. The, and he the, knows um, that it's worked because he can see the cleaner in the, the Natural History Museum through yeah. the window. And then they realized that if if it were still the present day, he wouldn't have been able to see it because of all the yeah. buildings that would have been built between the Dakota and the yeah. Natural History Museum. <laughs> so when I yeah. saw the Natural History Museum, I thought, well, yeah. I mean, every New York kid has a relationship with the Natural History Museum, but yeah. I mean, I have um, I have a tattoo. I have a tattoo of the whale. Oh wow, wow! Because I, I just I love that room. I love that room. Yeah. Like that room really, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I mean, the book is, is fiction of course. Um, but, but it's also not at all fiction. I mean, it, it's by far the most personal. autobiographical, deeply personal book yeah. I've ever written and ever really intend to write. Right. Um, but, but I mean, what I say in the book, which is, how I feel is just that it, it feels sacred to me. Like it feels sacred in the same way that a dark movie theater, like an empty dark movie theater in the middle of the day feels sacred to me, just like dark and quiet and filled with beauty. Like that. I just, I, that room that when, when I, was able to take my kids back there after they reopened. I 
burst into tears. You could have gotten them vaccinated there. They were doing vaccinations. I know. Oh my God. It drives me crazy. That would have been super meaningful. Oh man. I tried. I couldn't get an appointment. Oh, that's too bad. Um, (laughs) That is too bad. Yeah. No, I just, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I love the, that whole museum, but, but, but that room really, um, just, it, it really does just make my heart beat a little bit slower. Well, it's special and, to, to us. Um, yeah. I must say, I, I never understood how unusual people considered it to raise a child in the city until I got to college. <laughs> and then I would say, would say, where are you from? I'm from New York. Oh, you mean like Long Island? No, New York. <laughs> you mean like Westchester? No, New York. But they oh couldn't grasp that, you know, we stayed there at the end of the day. We actually slept yeah. there and got up the next morning. And it was so funny to me that, um, that there seems to be this assumption that the minute, you know, the the test comes back positive, I mean, the pregnancy yeah. test, yeah. you yeah. call a realtor in Scarsdale and off you go. But oh, God. Uh, if you can Repulsive. Stay, not that there's anything wrong with Sorosha. Well, I, I just, I have to, you know, to be completely honest and say that I did do 25 years in New Jersey um, for my husband's job. Yeah. Um, but when our younger child was uh, about to start high school, I said, this is our chance. Let's, let's move back in. And, and we did, but I'll, I'll never leave again. I mean, <laughs> I may, I may leave the Island of Manhattan too. <laughs> to see other places and do other things and visit people, but I will, this is my home. I am not going anywhere. You know, I, I have so many friends who've left New York, especially during the pandemic. So many friends with small kids moved away and huh, I just, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't anyway, like because of the bookstore and my parents, like I, I'm, I couldn't, I couldn't anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I understand that life is easier in other places, you know, where you can like get a parking spot in front of the grocery store, things like that. But yeah, no, but there's, but but in, in suburbia, you know, I was in my car all the time. My kids were imprisoned in the backseat. Um, and when I moved to New York, I mean, I, I think it took my son about four days to go from being this suburban kid who'd been driven everywhere to bye mom. And, uh, you know, I was so happy for him that he was free to discover. Yeah. So Emma, I noticed that always authors is sponsored by bookfinity. I thought that was a perfect match for this kind of podcast. Fellow author Carrie Mayer is going to tell everyone a little bit about it, and then we are going to come back and talk about the desert island books we've picked for each other. Hi, I'm Carrie Mayer, author of the national best-selling book, The Paris Bookseller. So I'm not just a writer, I'm an avid reader. And since Always Authors is sponsored by Bookfinity, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. Bookfinity is a website that is built by readers for readers, so you can get personalized book recommendations, create and share your book lists, review books, and refer friends to earn rewards. You start by taking a quick quiz to discover your reader type, and once you complete the quiz, you'll be taken to your My Bookfinity account. 
I took the quiz and got my reader type. I am a heroin addict, which is so accurate because I do love strong female leads. Now when I log into my Bookfinity account, I will get personalized book recommendations based on my reader type. Bookfinity also has a like it or lose it function, so I can quickly like the books that I'm interested in or lose the ones that I'm not. And it has a unique review system that goes beyond a star rating. I love that I can review a book based on how it made me feel and recommend it to others. To get started, visit bookfinity.com and take the reader type quiz and create your personalized account today. Every episode of Always Authors supports independent bookstores around the country. As the owner of Books Are Magic in Brooklyn, I very much approve this message. Since 1929, the Penguin Bookshop in Sewickley, Pennsylvania has offered a unique and extensive collection of new fiction and nonfiction for all ages. Located just 20 minutes outside of Pittsburgh, the Penguin is one of the area's greatest treasures and remains a vibrant literary resource for the entire Pittsburgh region. Well, for one thing, I, I don't ever want to be on a desert island. Um, people think it's be a nice place to read, hang out in the sand, take in the sun, but I'm not a beach person at the best of times. So uh, let's call it a desert island chalet or cabin uh, where you have a nice, comfortable place to read and somebody to bring you tea all the time. Um, the books that I would FedEx to you in this uh, place, first, and I, I'm sure you've hand-sold this book thousands of times, is Dolaire's Book of Greek Myths. It is uh, the single most important book I have ever read. Mm. And it, you know, not only did it make an entire college class on mythology completely uh, redundant, but it it... It made me an atheist at the age of eight. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that I'm out to make everybody an atheist, but I, I mention that because the power of orienting a child in the cosmos in such a way that it sticks for the rest of their life, I think is pretty amazing. It's also um, the most beautiful, funny, informative uh wide-ranging, powerful, incredible book. Um, I'm sure you sell it over and over and over again in your bookstore. I routinely give it to everybody uh, I know who is pregnant. <laughs> I was like, forget it. Forget the blankets. I'm going right mm -hmm. to Dolores' Book of Greek Myths. Um, so that should keep you happy for a while. Uh, the second book that I would give you, I'm you're a little younger than me, so I, maybe a lot younger than me. So I'm guessing you might not have read this book. Um, the Odessa File by Frederick Forsyth is a great favorite of mine. I'm something of an evangelist for this book. I have talked about it, written about it many, many times over the years. I read it when it came out in the 1970s. I think it, it has one of the great plots. Uh, it has a wonderful plot twist. Um, it's really well written. It's incredibly suspenseful. Uh, it was made into a very good film with John Voight, but I don't like John Voight at the moment. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not allowed to enjoy the film anymore, but it's just, uh, I mean, Paige Turner does not even begin to describe it. It's such a wonderful book. Enjoy it. And All my right. final, <laughs> my final selection for you is, uh, and I'm, I, I wouldn't be amazed 
if you've read this book, but most people have not. So it's uh, a book written in the 19, I want to say 1950s by Neville Shute, who is a British born uh, novelist who wrote a lot about Australia. He's probably best known for uh, a novel called On the Beach, which is uh, kind of post-apocalyptic novel about Australia, which I have not read because I can't bear anything post-apocalyptic. But he wrote this novel called A Town Like Alice, which I think I think many uh, writers of fiction will get a lot out of because it is a genre-defying book. It is a war novel. It is a romance. It is an adventure story. It is the great novel of Australia, and it doesn't even get to Australia until mm-hmm. the third. Um, it is such a beautiful book. I once got in a fight with a bartender in Alice Springs about this book. <laughs> he said, why are you here? And I said, I'm here because of a town like Alice. Have you read it? And he said, I don't read those romances. And I was like, it's not a romance. And we're fighting with each other. It is such a great novel. It's also one of the few novels I've ever reread and found it to be better the second time. So those are my picks for you. And uh, you're going to have a great time in your desert island chalet with those. Okay. All right. I want to give you a little range because who knows what mood you're going to be in. Like if you're stuck on a desert island, I know you don't even you don't even like sand. You're going to be miserable. Okay, so let's say you want something um, that is so quick, like so immerse, so immediately immersive that you are no longer aware of the sand that is bothering you on this desert island. Marcy Dermansky's Bad Marie. You never heard of it. I'm thrilled. So Marcy is one of my favorite novelists. She's got a new book coming out this summer. She's terrific. Bad Marie is maybe 10 years old or so. Um, And it's delicious and delightful and bad it is bad it's it's about a woman who has been in jail gets out of jail and gets hired as the nanny for her former like for her childhood friend and i'm not giving anything away here this how all happens very quickly right away she sleeps with the woman's husband and steals her child and goes to paris sounds awesome it's wonderful love it it's great okay so that's if when you're in the mood that you're like I, I have to, I, I need momentum. I need momentum because there's no momentum on the desert island. Let's say you don't want momentum. Let's say you want to like really like slow down. I would go Middlemarch. I would I go Middlemarch. I've never actually read Middlemarch. Oh, it's good. You know, Middlemarch is, is, is one of the few books that I have reread. Um, and really like enjoyed it, it, that experience that you just described where you're like, oh, thank God I'm reading this again because I'm getting more. Um, I could do that with Middlemarch once a year, probably if I had the patience, I don't always have the patience. Um, but it's, it's the kind of book where you could, you could spend a week reading a page and be happy, you know? Just so I'm amazed I haven't read it. I mean, I've read a lot of other George Eliot and I've certainly seen all the movies. But yeah, yeah. For some reason I never yeah. actually read it. Okay, I'm gonna read it. Yeah, it's really good. 
And then, and then maybe if you're in like a, uh, okay, now I'm stuck on this desert island. I've read all the books I brought. I need something a little more like introspective. I need to like sort of plumb the depths of my own imagination kind of thing. I would recommend a Linda Berry, one of the Linda Berry, um, what it is, or, uh, she has a few books that are all these like guided exercise, basically like how to make comics and how, I mean, how to make comics makes it sound very elementary, but it's really about like, just just filled with prompts. Like think about all of the other mothers from your childhood, make a list of 10 mothers who you encountered as a child you know, what did they have in their refrigerators? What did they serve? You know, things like that. And you're just like, oh my God, all things that you never think about, like, um, that are still hiding in the folds. It's almost of your like a writing exercise. Yes. Yes. It's full of writing exercises and drawing and, and, um, she's just like a, like a true genius, a true genius. So I would say, yeah, Linda Berry, George Eliot and Marcy Dermansky, bing, bang, boom. Okay. I'm good. And and extra credit because I didn't. I haven't read any of them. Oh, good! Yay. I'm sure you have read Dolores Book of Greek Myths. That, yes, but that's the only one I hadn't read the other two. So, pretty good. I, you know, your book is right here, but it's out of the screen, out of the frame. I've got to move it. Good cover too. Are you happy with the cover? Thanks. Yeah, it's um. I wanted something with no people on it. Do you have fights about your cover, or are you always happy? How do you feel? <laughs> there, there never fights because I, my default position is that I'm not a visual person, and I'm not. Uh, I don't think in pictures. Um, I would, I could never conceive of something. However, uh, occasionally when they show me something, I say, "Could you try this?" or could we tweak it this way? And and when the plot came, the cover of the plot, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And I showed it to my husband who looked at it for about five minutes and said, is it a dog? Okay. <laughs> Let's remind ourselves what this looks like. Okay. Is it a dog? He said. <laughs> All right. So it took, we did tweak it. We made it three dimensional here because it was sort of flat. Is it a dog? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's not a dog. It's uh, it's a, a view upwards from the bottom of a grave is what it is. Um, but it's so meta. It's meta and then it's meta on the meta. Yeah. Um, eventually, I came to absolutely adore this, but I never, you know, it was never something that I envisioned beforehand. Uh, for the latecomer, this was really cool. Um, the latecomer is about a, a family in Brooklyn with triplets <clears throat> who decide to have uh, a fourth child when their triplets are about to leave home for college. Oh my God. Can you imagine <laughs> doing that? Like, Hey, I have a great idea. The kids are off to college. Let's have another baby. Mm -hmm. This isn't just another baby. It's a leftover embryo from the triplets. So, um, so this is what they came up with. And, uh, you know, we had a whole argument, not argument, a conversation about whether there should be thorns. Of mm. course, there should be thorns. This family yeah. has lots of thorns. <laughs> so, uh, but the idea that, you know, they look like little bud vases, but they're actually test tubes. 
um, and that they're that this little last one is sort of growing up much later. Um, so that was uh, conversations, not arguments. Um, oh, I, I always have arguments. Oh, arguments. You have oh, arguments. Yeah. Oh, enormous arguments, always. Not, not with this one. This one we didn't. This is, it's like, it's very colorful and it's very beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the covers of your other books and there's, they're in the S's. Yeah. I can't there's like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I will say like, I always end up happy, but, <clears throat> but I have, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, my husband, although now his job is, is running our bookstore for the, you know, 15 years before that he was a book designer. And so I, I mean, I, we just have conversations about, about book design, like all day, every day. Right. And so I always have a lot of opinions. <laughs> so wait a minute, is he the one who came up with the idea of painting that mural on the side of your book? Oh yeah, we're talking about the mural. So we, we so our bookstore is on a corner and when we rented the space, there was a mural, a gigantic mural of a motorcycle there. And so when we, and we, when we rented it, we made sure with the landlord that we would be able to paint whatever we wanted. And he said, sure. And it took us maybe six months to figure out what we wanted. Um, because, you know, it just seemed like such a, such an enormous commitment like painting something like this gigantic wall. Um, and at the time, our then three-year-old was really into the Super Friends TV show from the 70s. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a superhero cartoon. Okay. From it's maybe the late 70s or, or very early 80s. Oh, and, wow. and the logo is super friends and it's in, and it's a burst. And then the, the superheroes are all running atop, on top of the letters. And we were just like, yeah, that's what we need. That's what we need. Um, and, and did you envision that every author would want to be photographed in front of this no, thing? no. It, it, I mean, we're so dumb, is the thing. So, <laughs> so, so we have this amazing sign painter, this guy who's, you know, I mean, he's, he, I would guess he's in his late thirties or early forties, um, but he's he's a, this amazing old fashioned hand hand painter. He's he's a sign painter and he paints everything by hand so carefully and he'd he'd painted a lot of things around the store for us and we you know showed him sort of our told him our concept and he then he made it he drew wow. this beautiful sign well um, it's and it's uh, i remember once reading the book by the uh the founders of ben and jerry yes i read that book <laughs> and, well it came with a coupon for a free pint of ice cream oh of course I read yeah. um but they i remember how generous they were in crediting the graphic designer who created their type, mm. not type, but the, the hand lettering that yeah. is still seen on every Ben and Jerry's. They said, this was our corporate identity. This was our brand identity. Yeah. And this was before people started talking about branding everything in sight. And I thought they're right. Yeah. This humble little decision about what the letters were going to look like 
had everything to do with how we felt about eating the ice cream. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a a lot of credit to your sign painter. Oh, for sure. Oh, God, he's amazing. And and it's, yeah, I mean, we, we really had no idea. We had no idea at all that that people would, I mean, I guess I thought people would like it, you know, but I, but I definitely didn't imagine that people would come and take their picture every day and that we would have these, like, I don't just amazing photos of so many people every day. If we, if we'd been smarter, we would have made it a little bit smaller. (laughs) Why? Because I can tell you from personal experience, that really, in order to get the whole thing in a camera frame, you have to stand about two feet into the street. <laughs> oh, and sometimes oh. there's a car parked there and you're like, right, this car right. is harsh in my mouth. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So if we'd made it a, a, just a smidge smaller, it would be even better. <laughs> well, maybe you can have it repainted. No, but no, I, no. I know because I've read that um, your... Uh, that opening the bookstore really was uh, a response to the closing of book court yeah, on yeah. Uh, court street. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's actually a scene in book court in the new novel in ah. uh, the late summer. And a lot of people were very distraught by the closing of that bookstore, but only one went and opened another <laughs> bookstore. So, you know, I remember thinking, gosh, I hope Emma knows what she's doing. You know, I it's like opening a restaurant. It's yeah. just, uh, you know, no. why not just dig a hole, throw the money in, set it on fire, and then fill in the hole? I mean, honestly, it really is. It it really was like going to a restaurant or, or, or thinking like, I like food, so I can run a restaurant. It basically is like that where, you know, I mean, my husband and I, there were things, there were things that I knew we would be good at because we were good at them. You know, like I, I, I never worried about about the books. I never worried about the writers coming. I never worried about um, selling stuff. I never worried about like merch. I like, there, there were things where I was like, oh, we are going to be amazing at this. But, but running a business, we had never done that before. We had never managed other people before. And right. that was so hard to learn. Right. I mean, right. just... We made so many mistakes. I mean, so many mistakes over and over and over again. I mean, we still make mistakes, I'm sure. But but now it'll be our fifth birthday in May. And and now, like, I would say in the last year, year and a half, really, is is when I feel like we, like, actually started to figure out how to how to do it properly. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a long time. <laughs> it takes it a long does. time because you have to make the mistakes. You know what I mean? You have to make the mistakes and you have to um, just have the experience. Like there's no other way. There's no other way to learn really how to do this. So, yeah, it's I mean, now now I feel like we're we're getting we're getting into yeah. the groove. But oh, boy. Yeah, yeah it's um. It's well, I never tried to start it. Well, actually, that's not true. I, I have a, I, I have a business that I, uh, I have a business called Book the Writer, as you know. Uh, it's not a business I'm going to send. Well, my kids are already in college and or out, so, but I would not have been able to send them to college on what I make from it. But I'm, 
I'm, I'm not in the red, so I'm happy about that. And I, I love doing it. I, I basically set up these events with authors to talk to uh, readers, usually in beautiful New York City apartments, now online as well. Um, but I, I've never tried to do anything on the order of what you're doing. So, I mean, the, somebody asked me yesterday at an event that I was doing, this event in Florida, uh, what's the best and the worst thing about being a writer? And like, I, I, I didn't want to say what the worst thing was because we're lucky. We're, you know, we've been lucky at this and I've been lucky at this and I'm, I'm solvent and I've been able to be published all these years. But no hesitation with the best thing. The best thing is you can write in your pajamas and nobody will know. <laughs> you don't feel like taking a shower. You don't feel like getting out of bed. You can still do a full day of work. And that is, oh my God, that is so wonderful. Um, <laughs> I don't even have to dress my top half for, for Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I go to the office on Zoom. It is, uh, you know, and as I said before, the plot was written basically hiding under the covers in my bed. Yeah, but it's it's still a book, and nobody yeah. knows except I just told them. So uh, <laughs> you know that I feel very fortunate, and and I, I I've been doing this for a long time since I was well. I, it's the only thing I ever wanted to do, and I did have a proper job once uh, for for our Strauss and Giroux, where I wrote um, uh, rejection letters basically all day long. Uh, but this is the thing that I have wanted to do since I was a child. And I am in, although I spent most of my career feeling that I was not succeeding, that others were doing much, much better because they were, I am unbelievably grateful that I am where I am with the people I'm with, uh, in particular, my agent and my editor, um, with a, a solid body of work and the prospect of more. So I have zero complaints and I did it all in my pajamas <laughs> sometimes. So um, it's been a good career, for, a, a surprising career, yeah. but a good career. That's me. the best. What more can you ask for? You know, that's the best just to keep doing it. Yeah. It's just to keep doing it. And I, I mean, did you kind of sail into print with your first book or were there others that were not published? Yeah, no, I wrote three, four novels in my 20s that I couldn't get published. Wow. And wow. then I went and got my MFA. And then I, and then a small, 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 small press published my story collection. And by that point, I was working at Book Court, and then I was able to sell a novel. Wow, I had no idea. That. See, you should never assume because you, you know your your first novel, the first novel that I was aware of, seemed to come at a very young age. Yeah, um, I remember we we did one of our uh, book the writer events with Julia Phillips, and I'd never met her before. I didn't know how lovely she was. Yeah. All I knew was she was what in her twenties, yeah. and this book had won everything, and it was a bestseller. And I, uh, and then I read it; and it was terrific. Yeah. But at the event at the book group, she told us all about you know how dire her situation had been, and how hard she'd worked, and nothing was getting published. And uh, and you kind of go, assume nothing, you know. Yeah. People, they may seem very young, but they have done their. Or 10,000 hours, I guess you could. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, the the only people I think we can definitely just always be mad at for sure are are the like 23 year olds, you know, the like 23 year olds. Well, like you, you mentioned Meg Wolitzer, who I love oh, yeah. to pieces. Meg yeah. is a terrible person because she published <laughs> a book. She published a, her first book when she was still in college. Yeah. Yeah. I've got it right here. Uh, house um, uh, sleepwalking. Yeah. And you know, what was so frustrating about that. I haven't <laughs> met Meg yet. House sleep <laughs> sleepwalking <laughs> is the novel I was supposed to write because <laughs> I was obsessed with Sylvia Plath. And uh, when I read it, I was like, who is this woman? <laughs> of course, you know, she was my contemporary and she was a smart woman and she yeah. had, read all the books that I'd read and had all the same yeah. obsessions I had, but she yeah. is so hardworking. I know. No, no. And, Meg is, uh, Meg is I, the only reason I can say that I, that I, that we should be mad at Meg is because Meg knows that I could never be mad at her in a thousand yeah, years. Yeah. And well, I'm no, the only reason I could be mad at her is because she is that one person yeah. I know who really, really loves yeah. to write. She's yeah. like, I cannot <laughs> wait to get to my desk every day. It's like, even when I'm walking the dog, I'm working. And uh, <laughs> Really, but when do you watch The Bachelor? Yeah, you know, that's what I want to know. She doesn't watch The Bachelor. That's that's the answer to that. So uh, listen, I, I it may I Daniel Radcliffe was gave this interview where whenever he complained about uh, his his job, his father would say, "At least you're not down the mines." And I always think, you know, gosh, I'm like, I was a chambermaid one summer. That was a terrible job. <laughs> and you, you couldn't do it in your pajamas either. No. I can tell you. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's wonderful work if you can get it, if you can do it. Um, and those are two big ifs. And I'm just incredibly grateful that I'm where I am at this point. Yeah. Yeah, Me too. I have a few more books to write. I'm not sure what they are. <laughs> um, I once met uh, uh, Josephine Hart, who wrote Damage. Mm -hmm. She was a, an Irish novelist, and she told me I always knew I had five. I knew mm -hmm. what they were. I wrote the first one, then the second one, then the third one, then the fourth one, then the fifth one, and that was it. Wow. And, and she died shortly after the fifth one. Wow. So. We'll never know if uh, which of those event events might have influenced the other. But yeah, uh, she said, "I always knew I had five. Wow, how many? How many books have you written, Jean? Including the ones that weren't published, <laughs> or in, in just in, in the ones that are have been published. The, or published, are about uh, the plot was number seven, and the latecomer is number eight. Plus, I wrote um, I wrote a book for." I wrote a middle grade reader called Interference Powder. Um, and I wrote a book of poems. And uh, yeah, so that's all. That's all. Well, so that's nine. Yeah. That's nine. Yeah. Well, the, the middle yeah. grade reader took as long as a novel, as an adult novel. Sure. So uh, yeah. And then I, 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 I have an idea what I'm going to write next, but I haven't started it yet. It's been a... a a very frenetic year between the latecomer and the plot. And with my dad's death, I, you know, I just want to be quiet and yeah, uh, not, you know, berate myself over not writing right now, but soon I will, I will go back. I have no idea. I'm so glad your Thank father's you. okay, Thanks. by the way. He's yeah. good. And he, he thinks it's so funny. Like whenever I, whenever I, for, I just got a, I, um, 
uh, starred Kirkus, Kirkus review. And I forwarded it to him and he read it and he was like, oh, yes, very good, very good. Uh, it's a shame they don't mention me, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just wants to be, he wants full credit. He wants full well, credit. Well, I mean, doesn't he deserve yeah. full credit? He does. He yeah, does indeed. It's his idea. Like, Dad, it's not, I'm not in charge. I'm not writing them. <laughs> I know. I remember uh, when I was a kid, uh, my father uh, asked me if I, you know, if I thought I had a novel in me. I think I was about 10. Mm-hmm. And I, I, cause he didn't, he wasn't an artist. He, he was a doctor and he didn't really understand how it was supposed to work. And I said, yes, but I was lying because, <laughs> uh, you know, even then I was terrified of writing fiction. The idea of it was just completely, I mean, absolutely horrifying. I mean, how do you do that? How do people do that? How do they write? It was a dark and stormy night and get all the way to the end. I mean, all the decisions you have to make and all the stuff you need to know and all those sentences you have to write. And I mean, I wanted to do it. I already wanted to do it, but did I think I could ever do it? Absolutely not. And then, you know, unlike you, I was never a short story writer. So I didn't even have that uh, kind of elementary step of, uh, you know, trying a, an abbreviated version of it. It was just straight off the cliff. Yeah. Um, but I did do it eventually. And it was, <laughs> uh, he loved everything that I wrote. So that was very gratifying. He didn't, he didn't make it through. I mean, heartbreakingly, there was his, like, uh, uh, his page holder was in the place in the latecomer where he got to, so oh it's only about 150 pages in. Oh, oh well. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But he loved, the, you know, because our name, Correlates, is actually not that common. And whenever a novel of mine came out, you know, people would come out of the woodwork, you know, distant cousins and things like that. And he just loved oh. that. But how meaningful, how meaningful, Gene, though, to have that book be his, the last book he was reading. I mean, oh, that's yeah. incredible. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh. He loved, I mean, he loved, he was a great reader. He loved to read, he loved to read history. And um, yeah, he was, um, over the pandemic, we, en- <laughs> we enrolled in a, in an online course about Jewish gangsters together. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of fun <laughs> through Hunter College. So. Wow. Anyway. Oh, I love that. I want to take the Jewish gangster class. And it was such a pleasure to talk to you today, Jean. Thank you so much. Thanks. I love it. Too. And thank you for writing this book. It was, it uh, it hit me at the right place at the right time, and uh, it, it was it was very powerful experience to read. Thank it. you. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, and for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers.